Bulls man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Friday edition, championship edition of the PFT PM Podcast. The NFL is down to four. Two great games coming up on Sunday. Very much looking forward to both games. Not overly confident about my prediction for either game. It's already out there. We've posted it. We've tweeted it. We've talked about it on PFT Live. Saints 38-31 over the Rams. Patriots 30-27 to over the Chiefs. Would I wager anything of value on either prediction? Hell no. But those are our thoughts. At least my thoughts. MDS and I disagree on the Patriots-Chiefs game. He thinks Kansas City's going to win. He also thinks that the Saints will not cover the three-and-a-half-point spread. I always get reluctant about that mixed bag outcome. Picking the underdog to cover, but the favorite to win. I just don't like it. I know it happens. It happens fairly frequently. I just don't like picking it. I like picking the winner, and if the winner's the underdog, then that's who I take against the spread. I don't look at the spread. I just come to a conclusion, who do I think is going to win? And then I look at the spread. It's like, okay, the team I think is going to win is getting points, so that's the team I'd pick against the spread. If it's the team that is the favorite, I have to really believe. If I'm just kind of, eh, I leave it alone. Chiefs-Colts last week, I was, eh, left it alone. Should have taken the Chiefs. I thought the Chiefs would win. I just didn't think they'd cover the spread, or at least I didn't feel strongly enough to make them a pick. We were, I was 2-1 and one against the spread last week. MDS was 1-2. and two. So this week I've got Saints covering and winning. Patriots winning and obviously covering since they're getting points. But, but who knows? We'll talk coming up about both games, my thoughts on both games, and what the keys to the games may be. Just throwing some ideas out there that come Monday or Sunday night may ultimately be the things we're talking about. Isn't that what we should be trying to do instead of framing matchups and can the Patriots stop Tyreek Hill? I I prefer to think of it in terms of will they do it? And if they devote enough resources to do it, what else could go wrong for them? And who should we be watching that maybe isn't obvious So we'll talk about that in a minute. For now, the Cowboys, as kind of expected, I don't know. We expected something. When Jason Garrett goes on radio Monday on 105.3 The Fan and says, Scott Linehan, the offensive coordinator, will be back and there'll be no changes to the coaching staff. And then he backtracks and then he fires Scott Linehan. Kind of knew something was coming. Jerry Jones had those bizarre comments earlier this week that made me think he's leaving the door open for a run at Sean Payton. And I know that... Plenty of people who cover the Cowboys, which I guess makes them more qualified than anyone else to comment on what Jerry Jones means when he says something. The reality is nobody knows what the hell he means, and he reserves the right to change his mind at any given time. The way I interpreted those words after hearing them, when I read them, I didn't think much about them. When I heard them, I thought, man, he's leaving the door open for Sean Payton next week. And if the door's open for Sean Payton next week, it may be open for Sean Payton three weeks from now. Who knows? But for now, the Cowboys need an offensive coordinator. For now, Jason Garrett is still the head coach. We've seen coaches get fired after losing in the division round. It happened to Steve Mariucci in San Francisco. 
16, 15 years ago. It happened to Marty Schottenheimer 12 years ago after the team was 14-2 and two in San Diego. At the time, it was San Diego. This is going to be a weird period of time where it's right to say San Diego Chargers if you're talking about them pre-move. It's wrong if you mention San Diego post-move. We went through that with the Cardinals. We went through that with the Rams. It takes a little bit too much work to keep all these freaking before and afters straight. Can we just keep all the, sit, the, the state, the, 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 all the teams in place for a while, please? Please. Scott Linehan issued a statement a little bit ago, right before we started the podcast. As Jason Garrett expressed, we met on Wednesday and had a good direct talk. At the end, we resolved that a fresh start was probably best for both of us. The Dallas Cowboys have been nothing but great to me, first class all the way. There's a reason that they are the most valuable sports franchise on the planet, and I'll always respect Jason as a coach, and I consider him a good friend. I'll miss my fellow coaches. And my players a great deal, but life is about change and growth, and I very much look forward to my next challenge. Okay. Mutual decision. That's the way that the Cowboys put it out there. Look, you never really can believe anything that we're told in one of these situations because a first-class organization like the Cowboys, that decides to fire a guy, would go to him and say, how do you want us to put this out there? How can we make this look good for you? How can we help you find another job? Especially if there's a buyout obligation involved. Hey, this guy's great. Well, we don't want him anymore, but he's great. Always great. We, what do we owe him? There's a, there's a, an offset in that, right? So if he gets another job, we don't have to pay him all that money. Oh, he's great. Oh, Yes. We give him the highest possible recommendation. We would hire him for any job except the one that he held or any other job in the organization. But you should hire him. He just needed a fresh start. That's all. I wonder if the same statements are going to be issued when Jason Garrett gets fired, which could come as soon as next week. See, the thing about Jerry Jones and any owner who is, you know, truly in charge of his team, any given day, you roll out of bed and you can say, hey, we do whatever we want. I choose whatever I want. Yesterday I wanted this guy. Today I don't. I've got the prerogative of doing it. That's one of the amazing things. How many billion dollar businesses ultimately come down to the execution and control of one person who has no one else that they have to go to? No board of directors, no layers of approval. You got one person who owns this gigantic asset and can do whatever he wants or she. There are plenty of female owners now in the NFL at any given moment. It's amazing. I like it. It makes it more interesting. And it makes it more accountable. And it makes it more unpredictable. And you never know what's going to happen. So... Scott Linehan out. I don't know who they're going to hire. There's guys on staff that are being considered. Maybe they'll go into the college ranks to get somebody who can better craft the career of Dak Prescott. The problem with the Cowboys offense is it's too simple. It's like the Packers. Too simple, too predictable, and it's too driven by the players being able to execute very basic concepts. And if they can, it works. If they can't, they lose because they have nothing to fall back on. There's not a lot of game-specific scheming. One of the knocks on Des Bryant as he was looking for another job was that he's played one position 
in one offense his entire career. He's been the X guy in a very simple and basic offense. Hasn't moved around, hasn't learned a lot of different concepts. And the Cowboys have a very simple approach. Use that dominant offensive line to run the ball with one of the best running backs in the game. Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, set up play action passing. That's what's encouraging about what Dak Prescott did on Saturday night. The run wasn't there, but Prescott still made some plays. Usually he only makes plays if Ezekiel Elliott is pounding the ball between the tackles and gaining yards. So maybe they're looking for somebody who will be more imaginative. And maybe at some point they'll decide instead of looking for an offensive coordinator who is more imaginative, they will just look for a head coach who is more imaginative. And I am not going to rule that out for the same reason that Scott Linehan is gone now. The owner on any given day can say, I am making a change. All right, let's see what else is going on in the National Football League. It's a fairly slow Friday afternoon just because the focus is the conference championship games. Chargers, I see, are leaving the door open for Antonio Gates coming back. That's a far cry from last year when even after Hunter Henry tore his ACL, it was a long time before Gates re-signed. Benjamin Watson won't play this week. He has appendicitis. I'm told that he doesn't need surgery at this time, but... Well, he doesn't need it, period. And if it stays that way, he'll be good to go. If it imp- I didn't know you could, if you had appendicitis, I thought if you had appendicitis, it, it's got to come out. I don't know, maybe medicine is advanced. That not that one of like our nagging worries that one day we're going to wake up with a stomach ache? And I, that's why I always think when I have a stomach ache, first thing I think is I have appendicitis. And the one time I have a stomach ache and I don't think I have appendicitis, I'm going to have appendicitis. So I always go straight to appendicitis. Because isn't that how it works? The thing you worry about is the thing you don't have. So I always worry about appendicitis. Stomach, oh, 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 appendicitis. Which side is your appendix on? I still don't even know. I end up looking it up and then once my stomach ache goes away, I forget about it. Isn't that a weird thing? That this region of your body just will out of the blue just create pain. Like, what's the purpose of the pain? What, it, there's nothing you can do at that point. Usually when you feel pain, this is Dr. Florio time, usually when you feel pain, it's a message to your brain to stop doing whatever it is you're doing. When you feel pain while your food is being digested, what the hell are you going to do? Like, maybe it's telling you to stop eating, but if it's deeper in your gut, you're not eating anyway. I'm confused by this. Why was the human body designed to put us through agony? And it's not like we can do anything about it. I mean, as long as you have the signal to your brain that there is an impending intestinal requirement, so you get to the appropriate receptacle, that's all you need. Why does it have to hurt? I have many questions about that. Why does it have to hurt? And man, I've had some, I've, I, I don't want to get too graphic. I've had some agony at times over the years. All right, well, this is taking a turn. Let's see what else is going on. I see Byron Leftwich met with the media today. He's the new Buccaneers offensive coordinator. Had a couple of items posted at PFT about things he said. He's a guy who's being pegged as a potential NFL head coach. And you rarely see a guy who came in as a top quarterback. Now, he didn't have a top three, top five, top ten type of a career, but he was good. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't bad. He wasn't a bust. He came in as a top ten guy. Back in 2003, I believe it was, out of Marshall. And to see him grind and grind and climb, it's encouraging. 
And I think more former quarterbacks should find their way into coaching, even if they were quote unquote good quarterbacks. I mean, can you imagine Peyton Manning being a coach, Tom Brady being a coach, Drew Brees being a coach, Russell Wilson being a coach? I just think at a certain point, you're kind of like, and I think with Peyton Manning, and Tony Dungy explained this to me, it would drive Manning crazy because he'd never have a quarterback as good as him. I think that's what's wrong with John Gruden. I think John Gruden gets pissy with his quarterbacks because none of them are as good as he would have been if he would have just been a few inches taller. What else is happening in the National Football League? I see Eric Berry's going to play this weekend. Let's do our conference championship previews on that note. Eric Berry practiced every day this week, and he has no injury designation, so he is good to go. And for the most part, the teams are healthy. Now, this Ben Watson thing popped up today. He'd been not practicing due to an illness. We just didn't know what the illness was. So he's out. But the Patriots have no injuries. The Rams have no injuries. Unless something happened today at practice we don't know about, Patriots and Rams completely healthy. Saints have a couple guys down. I think Keith Kirkwood didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. I haven't seen the final word on him for Friday. He's a key member of that offense because if you devote too many resources to cover Michael Thomas, then Keith Kirkwood's going to be open. One of the various undrafted guys that the Saints have found and developed. The uh, Chiefs. Are, are in good shape now that Sammy Watkins is back and if, if Eric Berry plays. Remember, it was Berry who tore his Achilles tendon week one, 2017. You know, the Chiefs have scored 40 against the Patriots two games in a row in New England. They beat the Patriots with 41 points in the week one game, 2017. That was a stunner for everyone. That was with Alex Smith at quarterback. Now with Patrick Mahomes, they put up 40. And I think the, let's start with the AFC game. I know the AFC game is the second game, but that's the game that I think we're all anticipating because it's the game between the two franchise quarterbacks. One of the best quarterbacks of all time in Tom Brady. Maybe the, not, no, one of the best players at any position of all time and the best quarterback of all time in Tom Brady against a guy who has shown early indications of being potentially the best player of all time. If he plays for 15 years like he has this year, and if they can put together a team around him, that will result in Patrick Mahomes having at least four Super Bowls, which is not easy to do. He's going to have to achieve a lot as a member of a team. He could be ultimately known as the best player of all time based upon what we've seen so far. Long way to go. Got to stay healthy. Got to stay effective. And you know what's going to happen the Chargers, the Raiders, the Broncos are going to spend the bulk of the offseason coming up with ideas for how to stop Patrick Mahomes, studying the film, what can we do, how do we do this, anticipating sidearm throws. See, this year nobody anticipated that stuff. I mean, if you anticipate it, you can basically reach your arm out and knock it down or even maybe grab it. Now, it wouldn't be the easiest thing to grab, but we've seen guys reach their arms up and come away with the football. Once they learn when to take their arms out, put them up, put them at an angle, you get a better sense. There's going to be patterns with Mahomes. Or maybe not. Maybe Mahomes is always going to take what's there. And he's going to be able to slide that arm around, that shortstop motion. However it takes to get the ball to its target. And if you see the arms up, you throw under. If you see the arms low, you throw above. And it's all done instinctively and in the moment. I think that was one of the big knocks on Mahomes coming out. The idea that he wasn't going to stick to the script. And so many coaches are obsessed about wanting their guys to stick to the script. But here's the thing. When you get on the field and you have what you want to do, 
Well, you're going against 11 other guys who want to do the exact opposite, and sometimes it all falls apart. And if you have a guy who can improvise the way that Mahomes does, that's what makes him potentially one of the best ever. Not the normal things, the abnormal things. The highlight reel plays that happen when stuff starts to go sideways. He goes sideways, literally. And I can't recall a guy at that position who forces you to watch the replay to truly appreciate what you just saw. That happened with the sidearm throw to Travis Kelsey against the Colts. We were watching it in the trailer outside of the stadium. The NBC Football Night in America crew hanging out there, having some great brisket and grilled chicken and excellent barbecue sauce, watching the games. Fun. Like hanging out at somebody's house. Although it's a trailer. It's, a, it's not a bad trailer, but it's kind of, you know, it's kind of intimate and cozy. And that happened, that play happened. We were like, wow, whoa, hey, man, hmm, let's see that again. And then the, the reaction was bigger. I may have said this earlier in the week. I don't know if I said it on PFT Live or here. It's kind of hard when you do, you know, three hours a day on radio and then we do the, the PFT PM podcast however many days a week. This, this week it's four, but this is a big week. Next week we'll try to do at least three or four. Uh, Super Bowl week. I don't know what we're going to do. We will do PFT. We're loading the cannon with great guests. I know I'm just kind of bouncing all over the place. Let me get back to the AFC championship preview. When the Chiefs have the ball, right, can Damian Williams run like he's been? Will the Patriots try to bottle up the run? Or or will, will there be will there be a commitment to taking away Tyreek Hill and Mahomes and letting and daring the Chiefs to run. Remember Super Bowl 36, what Bill Belichick did to the Rams? They were determined to take away Marshall Falk as a receiving threat. They wanted to dare the Rams to run. They dropped eight guys into coverage routinely, and Mike March refused to take what Belichick was giving him because Belichick knew in that moment Mike March wouldn't do it. Same thing in Super Bowl 25 when Bill Belichick was the defensive coordinator of the Giants. He had to go in and sell to his guys the idea that if Thurman Thomas ran for more than 100 yards, the Giants would win the game. And I think there was a mini revolt when the guy they called Doom came in and sold them on this crazy notion that letting Thurman Thomas run, encouraging Thomas to run, was the best way to slow down the keg on offense. But it worked. It barely worked. It almost didn't. But when you consider the talent gap between the uh, the Giants and the Bills back in 1990, it's amazing that the Giants pulled that off. So I look for Bill Belichick, and my guess is, let's take a look at their 2018 schedule. New England Patriots, they played the Chiefs week six. They had a bye after their loss at Tennessee. And then they had the Jets and the Vikings back-to-back after that. I wonder how much time during the bye Bill Belichick spent early planning for the potential eventual rematch with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. I mean, we know Belichick well enough to realize that he'd potentially anticipate this game. Now, some coaches would say, I don't want to waste time on something that may not happen. I don't want to jinx it. Or why do I want to spend time worrying about a game that is so far down the road that we got to beat this team, we got to beat that team. Or you can be Bill Belichick and say, hey, you know what? 
We know we're good enough to get to the AFC Championship game. They're good enough to get there. And of all the teams in the AFC that we would have the hardest time with, it would be the Kansas City Chiefs. So during this bye week, I am not going to go golfing or drive my yacht around wherever he drives his yacht around. Is it drive? Is it sail? Whatever the hell it is. I'm not going to do any of that. I am going to simply focus on the Chiefs. I'm going to take three days, four days, whatever many days I'm taking time. And I'm going to come up with a game plan now because I know I won't have the luxury of an extra week to do it. I'm going to come up with a game plan now, an idea now for stopping Pat from Holmes. And then if we are in a bye week, I'm going to spend some time during the bye week dusting it off, refining it, adjusting it based upon what we see from Mahomes from week 10 onward. That's the kind of way, that's what Bill Belichick does, or he puts Ernie Adams on that. Let's figure out a way to confuse and confound Patrick Mahomes. Let's be ready to show him something that he is going to think, based upon his own film review, is going to create an opening to this guy, and he's going to throw it to that guy, and somebody's going to come over and intercept it. Now, look, I I don't want to overcomplicate it, but I think that's how Bill Belichick operates. Duping Patrick Mahomes into thinking something will be there that isn't there. That's how they, they got one of the interceptions of Mahomes back in week six. They they duped him into throwing the ball and Dante Hightower popped up and picked it off. And we know that Andy Reid will, when in doubt, throw the ball. Will he be willing to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball if that's what the Patriots are giving him? It'll be very interesting to see. How the Patriots are aligned. It'll be interesting to see who's dropping into coverage. It'll be interesting to see whether or not they dare the Chiefs to run the football, especially as the forecast gradually improves. Early on, it was going to be deep freeze. Now, it seems like every day the forecast adjusts five degrees north, five degrees north. It's getting warmer. It's getting warmer. It's getting warmer. Forget about the the high of 11, the low of one. The last I saw it was a high of 33 and a low of 23. No precipitation in the forecast. New sod at Kansas City. Yeah, of course, new sod. They want a faster track. I wouldn't be surprised if they eventually put in field turf there during the Mahomes era. Why do you even want to risk this? I mean, they they got him for playoff games at home, but playoff games at home this time of year are not necessarily the way that you get the most out of Patrick Mahomes. Now, when the Patriots have the ball, now one more thing about when the Chiefs have the ball. They, they got to be able to stop Tyreek Hill. And I don't think you can shut him down. You have to accept the fact he's going to do his damage. You just try to minimize the damage he does. And I think that because the offenses are so good, I used a tennis analogy today, and I know it's not really tennis season, but I did call the guys out. Chris Sims and Big Cat tried to give me a hard time. Bust on me that's not tennis season. They're playing the Australian Open right now, so it is tennis season. It's just a matter of break and serve. Once or twice. And then you win the set. And I think that's what it comes down to. Can the Patriots at the right time make the right play to kill a drive, get the ball back? And can the Chiefs do the same? How many times can you break serve? I think that's going to be a key in this. Now, when the Patriots have the ball, look, you're going to see Sonny Michel run it. You're going to see James White catch passes. You're going to see Julian Edelman do his thing. The one guy that I want to see is Rob Gronkowski. I pointed out earlier this week that... Tom Brady is Tom Brady again, even though it looked like he wasn't for a while during the regular season. And my theory would be he was injured. The team never knew about it. Just like his concussions. Remember, his wife said he's had concussions and there was no record of any treatment of or evaluation of concussions. When you have a setup with Alex Guerrero to get separate treatment, then 
the team's never lying on the injury report because the team never knows. And that obligation doesn't flow back to the player. I mean, if you can, if you can sell to the team that you're not injured long enough to get out of the building to get to the TB12 facility that's at Gillette Stadium and begin the process of getting your treatment there secretly, and the team never knows, and you never get treatment from the team, you're not injured. And I say that because maybe the same thing's going on with Rob Gronkowski, because he's part of that TB12 thing now. You know, he's pliable, remember? He's pliable. He had injuries this year. Maybe the injuries were worse than we thought, and maybe that's why he hasn't been very good, and maybe he's rounding into form now. And maybe they held him out of the game plan last week to set up the Chiefs. I mean, really, when you're scoring at will without Rob Gronkowski catching passes, it's not like you need to pull the sheet off of the old Gronk. Here's the new Gronk, same as the old Gronk. This is the week you do it. And what's the last big play we saw from Gronk this year? It was the throw and catch that allowed the Patriots to win the game back in week six against the Chiefs. That's going to be the key for me. I have a feeling Gronk's fine. I have a feeling we are going to be saying on Sunday night, holy shit, Gronk is back. NFC Championship game, Rams at the Saints. One of the keys to this game is going to be the ability or lack thereof of the Saints to stop the Rams' rushing attack. Because the Rams have discovered that they can pair Todd Gurley with C.J. Anderson and roll up a ton of yards. 273 yards gained against the Cowboys. And the Saints don't have Sheldon Rankins to clog up the middle. He's their best run stuffer. And I think if the Rams can control the clock... Wear down the crowd, keep Drew Brees on the sideline, frustrate him, frustrate the offense, make them feel like they have to make things happen when they get on the field. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting. It's about time. Come on, let's go. You know that feeling where you're, come on, well, come on, let's go. I'm, we're waiting. I think that's what the Rams need to do because I don't think Jared Goff's ready to step up and be a gunslinger. I don't think he's ready to step up and take it. Look at the quarterbacks the Saints have beaten in the postseason during their two Super Bowl runs. Nine years ago, Kurt Warner, Brett Favre. Last week, Nick Foles. Here's Jared Goff. Who doesn't belong and why? And I'm sorry, Jared, but those few games that were uncharacteristic late in the year, and then they tried to really kind of, I don't know, build around the run game, changing the offense on the fly, coloring within the lines. I think that's what the Rams need to do here. Try to run the ball, hope they can run the ball, and ultimately slow down the game, score points, and then hope that with a keep to lead, let me flip it over to the Rams on defense, Saints on offense. They didn't have a keep to lead last time. Michael Thomas tore up the Rams for 211 yards, and Thomas is unreal. Thomas is one of the best receivers in football right now. 6'3", 212. He is a man-possessed. And last week against the Eagles, before that game, there's that clip of Drew Brees getting everybody fired up, and Thomas looks like he is ready to run into the fires of hell and kick the crap out of Satan himself. That's what the Rams are going to be dealing with. And I don't know that Aqib Tlaib is good enough to slow him down. We know Marcus Peters isn't. And I think Marcus Peters is going to be right on the edge of that emotional turmoil. He can say whatever he wants this week. When he sees Sean Payton, if Sean Payton gives him a look or gives him a gesture, gives him the finger, whatever the case may be. It's not going to take much to press Peter's buttons. 15-yard penalty, maybe. Biting on a double move. That's a point Chris Sims made on PFT Live. Peter's is going to be susceptible to that. The thing about the Rams, and I said this today, the Rams seem to be the best bad defense I've ever encountered. Because you can shred them. 
You can gash them. And it's more than bend but don't break. It's bend and break. But at some point, they surprise you and they make a play. Aaron Donald makes a big sack. Somebody else makes a big sack when Aaron Donald is being double teamed. Somebody makes an interception. Look at that 54-51 game against the Chiefs. Rams won that game not because of their offense per se. It was because their defense was making timely plays that were devastating to the Chiefs' offense. Chiefs were the better offense that day. But the Rams rose up and made key defensive plays when they needed to. I think that's not going to be enough against the Saints. It may be enough. You know, the Rams may be good enough to beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl if the Rams could get there. I just don't think they can go to New Orleans and win. And it all comes back to that that game in New Orleans when it was 35-14. The Rams scored 21 points, tied it up, and the Saints found a way to hold it together and get the win. I just feel like being at home in front of that crowd, the Saints will find a way. This is the year that Tom Benson passed, and let's not overlook the potential value of that, how that emotion resonates through the organization. That doesn't get a whole lot of national discussion. I think that may be part of this too. Between the crowd, between the players, between the coaches, between the 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 atmosphere that that team has created. And I know they had three straight 7-9 seasons, but they had historically bad defenses, and they still won 7 out of 16 games those years. I think that the Saints will win. I think they'll cover. And what we may be talking about come Sunday night, number one, the inability of the Rams to handle Michael Thomas, and number two, the inability of the Rams to rise up and make that big play when they needed to defensively. We've seen them do it, but I think in New Orleans against the Saints, the Saints are going to win that battle of wills. So Saints win, Patriots win. I'll be right or I'll be wrong, or maybe it'll be a mixed bag. We'll find out come Sunday night. All right, let's see what questions we have as we wrap up this Friday edition of the PFTPM podcast. I'm buying time here as I scroll to the point where I find the gift that we posted of Oscar doing, uh, what is it? Is that, that's the dance he did. He was, he was voguing at the, uh, at the Jim and Pam wedding. Uh, 40 questions. I said the other day I would answer all of them. Earlier, there were only 30. Let's see what we got. I'll do my best. I will do my best to answer as many of the questions as you have posted. PFTP and Posse, why do the Bears give a shit if Cody Parkey does media? If he thought he was getting cut, he might as well try and grow his brand, right? Plus, how often do we hear that kickers aren't football players or part of the team and other derogatory stuff about special teams players in general? This is a reference to the the lamentations of Bears coach Matt Nagy that Cody Parkey went on the Today Show at all and also without telling Nagy. I... I thought it was kind of hokey that Parkey did it. I don't, I look, I know why the Today Show does it. That's what, that's what these morning shows do at every network. But I don't know what Parkey really was going to gain from this. You think some other team is going to sign him? What, what's this do for him? Is he going to get a, a candy bar deal? What's he going to get? What's his end game? Who's advising him that this is a good idea for his career? Because at some point, he is going to be looking for a job probably sooner than later. And there are so many kickers out there. The supply far outweighs the demand. If you're the guy that did that goofy thing, then, all right, we'll try another kicker instead. You throw that in with the double doink, yeah, we don't need that distraction here. There are a lot of coaches that don't want a kicker who says a word. They don't want a kicker who stands out from the crowd. The kicker is truly an interchangeable part. It's like a screwdriver, right? Every once in a while, you need a screwdriver. And when you need a screwdriver, you don't want a screwdriver that talks back. 
You don't want a screwdriver that's got all kind of fancy shit hanging off of it. You just want a screwdriver. And you want the screwdriver to work. And then when you're done with it, you put it back in the toolbox. But you want it to be there, and you want it to work. And you don't want any, any issues with your screwdriver. So... I don't know why Parky did it. I, I don't care about... I, and Negi, I don't know that Negi helps himself by saying anything. But I know that Parky didn't help himself by doing the interview. PFTPM Posse points out that on the other day, I said there's no evidence Tom Brady has paid off the books. However, you forgot that the Patriots employ TB12's company he owns with Alex Guerrero. Why doesn't every franchise player start a company for their teams to hire? No worse than the Browns in the late 90s. I didn't forget that. I just... Look, here's the thing. If there is a company that Tom Brady has that is providing services to the Patriots and it's all above board, then so be it. I look at it this way. It's not like it's hidden. I mean, why wouldn't the NFL investigate and explore that angle? They went after the Patriots for Spygate. They went after the Patriots for Deflategate. This is something hiding in plain sight. So my theory is, if there was anything to it, well, they would do something about it because it's all out there for anyone to see. And if Tom Brady has discovered some sort of a loophole where there's a legitimate way to get more money out of the team, I mean, all you'd have to do is a simple audit. I'm sure the NFL has the ability to say, hey, Robert Kraft, we want to see all the agreements on what you pay to TB12, what you get from TB12, and they'll do an assessment as to whether or not it's a fair arm's length transaction. Oh, but what if they're paying more under the books? Well, they can give the players more under the books. See, my theory is that a lot of people are doing that. And that's why they're not going to make an issue of it with the Patriots. Because how do you ultimately keep an owner of an NFL team from finding a way to put a bunch of money into a briefcase and get it into the hands of his best players? I mean, that stuff's happening all the time at college football. They're not supposed to get a dime. They're getting money hand over fist. They've been doing the... the, uh, the, uh, the, The handshake. I don't know what they call it. Some kind of handshake. Hand Where you got money in your pocket and you hand it to him. I've, I've talked to guys who played college footballs in the in the 70s or football in the 70s and they'd sell their tickets to boosters at a dramatic markup regardless of what the demand actually was for those tickets. They got two tickets to a game and boosters would pay more than handsomely for those two tickets and that would be the walking around money. That would be the compensation that they weren't otherwise getting. I mean my attitude for college football is get what you can. My point is, it's happening there. Why, why would we be so naive to think that many teams are doing this? I think they are. No way to prove it. And look, the reason why they wouldn't go after the Patriots on this, the Patriots would probably point out to everybody else, and rightfully so, this team does it, this team does it. We all know they do it. Here's how they do it. Here's how I do it. Here's how they do it. There's a lot of stuff that's gurgling under the surface, and I think there's things the NFL doesn't want to find out about because if you find out about it and you do something about it, then everybody knows about it. So that's what I—that's why I think this TB12 thing, and, and who knows. But the NFL's in a position that they can investigate it if they wanted to, and maybe they have. Regardless of what's going on above the, the, the table, it's the things happening under the table that are, as a practical matter, and in a competitive environment like this, they are impossible to keep from happening. PFTPM Posse, the final four playoff teams, Rams, Patriots, Chiefs, Saints, all were top eight scoring offenses during the season, and the best defense was the Saints at number 14 with these stats in the NFL skewing so heavily toward the offense. Does defense still win championships? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The Rams almost didn't get the two seed. It would have been the Bears, potentially. 
the Chargers could have been the number one seed, right? The Ravens were in the mix at some point to get a bye. I just think the way that it all ultimately shook out, by the skin of their teeth, these four very good offenses ended up in the in the spots where they got the bye week. And the, and the one thing that I think has changed about the NFL in the past 10 years, the teams that get those buys in the playoffs have learned how to win with that week off. There was a period of time where it was a crapshoot. It was a 50-50 proposition to hold serve at home, another tennis reference, after you had a week off in the playoffs. Now it's become virtually automatic. And I've been meaning to run the numbers. I got the record and fact book here. It's just going to take some time. I want to get the percentages like pre-2010 and post-2010 because at some point in the last 10 years or so, it's changed. And I don't know why it's changed, but it's changed. And I keep meaning to do that every year, but the thing is you got a limited window because there's so many other things going on before the divisional round and then after the divisional round, you're thinking about the conference championship games and it just never percolates. Maybe I'll do it tonight. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. I don't know. First weekend home since Labor Day. Maybe I'll find some time to do that. Not that anybody really cares because we're thinking about the next games. But it is something to file away for next year. Maybe that's what I'll do. I'll do it now, write about it now, and then dust it off next year as the divisional round approaches. Spirit is willing, flesh is weak. Next question. At the CJ Newman, are you going to listen to your son get interviewed on the Fullbacks are people to podcast this week by the real Forno recliner QB and myself. I am aware that my son did this and it was an extended conversation like over an hour. So yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. I'll, I'll, I will partake in the fullbacks are people to podcast on which my son made a guest appearance and the conversation lasted as long or longer than the typical PFTPM podcast. At The Real Forno, why do you think there haven't been any updates in the Colin Kaepernick case? It's been three months since Mark Garrigus said he would have some huge information released in two weeks. Here's what's gone on. The NFL has insisted on full and complete respect of the gag order that was imposed by the arbitrator, and the arbitrator got his message across loudly and clearly to the parties to shut up, and they have. And I think that's what's happened. This is still going to percolate, and I think it will be part of the fabric of the NFL for 2018. At some point, there will be an arbitration decision. At some point, we will find out whether or not Kaepernick wins or loses his collusion case, and at some point, the evidence will make its way to the public domain. And that is both going to be fun, but also very frustrating, because it's going to be thousands of documents, transcript pages, things to sift through to try to figure out where the the interesting nuggets are that either prove collusion or disprove collusion. James McDonough, which NFL team is the hardest to get information from? Um, I don't want to start down that path, frankly, because I, I, it's just better, because we get a lot of information off the record, and that's what makes the world go round. I... I, I, I I just don't think anything good comes out of commenting on the way that we collect information. I hope you understand. That's my answer to the question. I'm not telling you. At least I answered the question. I could have just skimmed right over it like I did earlier in the week. Frank Chavawi, Romo for OC. Do you think Tony Romo is really going to give up a job that he can hold indefinitely into the future with no wins and losses, with no pressure, with no Jerry Jones to deal with? Do you really think he's going to give that up? He's already mastered the art of broadcasting an NFL game. He's got no pressure. He is living life. Now, he seemed less engaged this year. Is that just me? 
He seemed less into it. I'm, I'm starting to wonder whether the criticism has muted him a little bit because he was getting a hard time by the playoffs last year for all that. Ooh, Jim, Jim called him out on it at one point for the sound effects. I feel like Tony has dialed it back, but he still enjoys it. How could you not enjoy? What's he got to be making? He's got to be making five, ten million. I don't know. He's making good money to still be close to the game, to have no real skin in the game, and to continue as long as he wants. He can sit in that chair for 20, 30 years. I don't see him giving up that chair. Because the thing is, once you give up that chair, there's no guarantee it's ever coming back. Nick Estrom, Eagles trade both Wentz and Foles, move up in the draft, get a new quarterback, move back in the late first round, take a running back to pair up for years to come, move on from potential injury-prone players, and the year-to-year stuff with Foles, your thoughts. Yeah, that ain't happening. That, that, those are my thoughts. And it, it looks like they're keeping Carson Wentz. They're going to try to find a way to get Nick Foles to stay. I hope for, for his sake Nick Foles says, I'm, I'm not playing this game. Right? Because he'll get a $20 million option. That'll be exercised coming up in a few weeks. He'll have a, a, an opportunity to buy out of it at $2 million. And then the Eagles will have to decide whether to use the franchise tag or let him walk away. And if they use the franchise tag, he should sign it immediately and say, I'll take $25 million or whatever it is that's going to be in that ballpark. I'll take it. That's my reward for what I've done. And I'm not signing a long-term contract. I'm going to play out this year. And you can either pay me $30 million next year or let me hit the open market. At some point, though, Nick Foles is getting to the open market. And he's still not 30. He turns 30 on the 20th. He's still not 30. Pembroke Raider, do you think the Patriots had the ammo to stop Tyree Kill? I don't think so. I think they have a hard time mimicking him at practice. Stephon Gilmore talked about that yesterday. There's a couple different guys who are playing the role of Tyree Kill. Chris Sims suggested that for a guy like Tyree Kill, you actually line the scout team version of Hill up with a yard or two of a head start. So you get that same experience of how quickly he is upon you. And the burst that he has, you simulate the burst by giving the guy less distance to cover. There aren't many guys out there who can do what Tyreek Hill does, and the Patriots have a very hard time stopping him. And how did that guy last until round five? Stephen Wise, 89, which conference championship games stand out in your mind as better games than the ensuing Super Bowl? I mean, if we're, if we're looking back in time, how about the 98 Vikings-Falcons conference championship? The Broncos-Falcons Super Bowl was bad. I, I, there were a lot of Super Bowls that were not good Super Bowls. But the conference championship games were compelling. I'd have to go back and study them all. I mean, I'm just immediately I have memories of the Steelers-Oilers consecutive, consecutive championship games. Now, the Steelers had great Super Bowls those years. Cowboys one year, Rams the next. But, you know, it used to be there was a presumption that the Super Bowl was just not going to be good. And it used to be that if you got down by 7 or 10 points, that you just kind of folded your tents and you couldn't recover. That changed, and that really came with Super Bowl XXII when Washington was down to Denver 10-0 after one quarter and just exploded in the second quarter for 35 points, I believe. And then we got to a point, and really with Super Bowl XXV, Bills-Giants, that, that kind of ushered in this age of, okay, we can have some really good Super Bowls. And now, and I, I don't know, when did it really start that the default became... They are going to all be good Super Bowls, probably with Super Bowl 36, 17 years ago. Because remember the year before, Ravens-Giants? I, I remember going into that game. I was just getting into the business. My take was whoever scores the first touchdown wins, and that's what happened. The year before that, there was a, there was a surprisingly good finish to Rams-Titans, although there was a sense the whole game the Rams were going to win it, and they, they ultimately delivered. The year before that was the Broncos-Falcons blowout. 
The year before that was a good game between the Broncos and the Packers. The year before that, decent game between the Packers and the Patriots. But I think it started with Rams-Patriots in Super Bowl 36, where we began to really take these games like they're going to be good games. They're going to be exciting games. Now the year after that, the Buccaneers blew out the Raiders. But we got back to good, exciting games after that. And it's really been that way pretty much continuously. We thought we were going to have a break from two years ago when it was 28-3, but we know how that ended up. Let's see. Pembroke Raider, if you were the D coordinator of the Patriots, or the Patriots, Patriots or Patriots, how would you defend against Pat Mahomes? I, I addressed this earlier. I'd, I'd drop a bunch of guys into coverage, dare them to run, and uh, and also try to keep him in the pocket. Chris Sims has been pointing that out. You try to keep him in the pocket because when he rolls right, he does so much damage. I just, I don't know whether they have the athletes to keep him in the pocket because if he's determined to leave the pocket, he's going to leave the pocket and he's going to do what uh, what he has to do. Valley Man 12, has NBC ever asked you to hype a Sunday night game you didn't think was that good? They, they've never hi- asked me to hype any Sunday night game. I mean, I'm only going to hype games that I think are good. And, you know, I, I'm not going to jump off the top rope when it's a crap game. I mean, when it's a crap game, we all know. When it's a good game, we all know. And, I, I mean, I, look, it, in some weeks you have good games, in some weeks you have bad games. I, I don't think I need to comment on it for people to realize what's a good game or a bad game. And I think people get it if you're trying to oh boy on the surface this looks like a really bad game but let me explain to you why you must spend your three hours watching it no we always know there's going to be an audience and the way that the schedule is set they far more often than not put good games in prime time the nfl knows the value of having good games that are on three-letter networks that are broadcast to the largest audience that are more likely to attract the biggest numbers so i, I mean my credibility any it's first of all it's not going to matter right whether I hype it or not, it's not going to make a damn bit of difference. So why would I want to extend myself and look like a shill when it's not going to ultimately make a damn bit of difference? I mean, really, who am I going to convince? Who is that extra person or two? And ultimately, that's all it would be. If I was out there with a megaphone, acting like a carnival barker to get people to watch the game, it, it'd be a waste of my time, and it would be a squandering of my integrity. So we all know when games are good. We all know when games are bad. And the games this weekend are great. And I wish NBC had one of them. Mike likes dirt. If you were a GM, which one non-quarterback position on each side of the ball would you invest in to get the most team and financial success, jersey sales, PSLs, etc.? Look, if you're a GM, you don't care about jersey sales, PSLs. If you're a team president, you do. That's where a lot of the tension comes from in these organizations. You'll have the business people who want to spend a bunch of money on a big-name player to sell tickets. The GM just wants to win games. So... I reject the premise of the question because I'm thinking about team success. And obviously the key positions are pass rusher, defensive back, cover corner, left tackle, right tackle. Right tackle is almost as important as left tackle. Those are the marquee positions. Those were that that's where you would like to have young guys on rookie wage scale contracts as long as possible, because those are the most expensive guys to find elsewhere. So if you can get young guys who are high level Pass rush, left tackle, right tackle, cover corner. If you can get that, lock them in to four or five years of very, very low cap numbers, then you're in position to build something special other than quarterback. Obviously, you want to have a quarterback operating under his rookie contract. I mean, the Chiefs are one year away from having to give Patrick Mahomes $35 million a year. Be interesting to see. That's looming. What will the Chiefs do after the final regular season game of the third year of Patrick Mahomes' career? How quickly... Will they pounce 
How much money will it take? And will Patrick Mahomes say, let's let it play out. Let's let's uh, go year to year under the franchise tag. I'm waiting for a high-end quarterback to do it. Because a mid-level guy in Kirk Cousins played that game and won. Wait till a star quarterback does it. And it's got to come at some point. I think Russell Wilson is the candidate to be the first guy to do it. You can call me Dick. Can you name any Maroon 5 songs? Hmm. Do I have? I think once upon a time there was a, a Maroon 5 album that I liked. It may be on my phone. I haven't listened to it a long time if it is. Let's see. Scrolling, scrolling. Uh, and I know I know it's like uh, it's outdated to actually purchase albums on your phone. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I have some. Now now we all just have streaming services. I've got a Maroon 5 album here somewhere. I just can't find it. So it's been a while. I got a lot of Kiss albums on here. Boston. Boston is an underrated album. Here it is. Maroon 5, Overexposed. I don't know why I liked it. One More Night. Didn't even remember that song. I like Payphone. I think Payphone is what got me to download the album. Uh, I'd forgotten all about that. So, look, I, yeah, I, I wasn't real impressed with the halftime performance choice. And remember a few years ago, there was a report. I think it was, it was one of the business type publications, Wall Street Journal, something like that that the NFL, in negotiating with the potential halftime asks, acts for the Super Bowl, the NFL wanted like a piece of tour revenue after th- that event. You know, you've got this gigantic platform. It's the biggest concert of the year. 100 million plus are going to watch this thing. So the NFL realized we can turn it into a revenue stream. And I'm, I'm always skeptical now. Are they choosing the best act for Super Bowl halftime, or are they choosing the act that gives the NFL the best financial deal? And I, I don't know. Maroon 5 feels like an uninspired choice to me. Matt Yvonne, the Scott Linehan firing seems very delayed given the number of head coaching changes this season. Will the Cowboys struggle to find an upgraded offensive coordinator? I guarantee you they didn't fire Scott Linehan until they knew who the next offensive coordinator would be. And it's just a matter of time before we find out. Vaughn A.B., what one player or coach remaining in the playoffs has the most on the line in terms of legacy? I'd say it's Andy Reid. He's 60. How many more of these chances are you going to have before he retires? But here's the thing. I would I would be uh, sticking around as coach of the Chiefs for as long as I possibly can into the career of Patrick Mahomes because Andy Reid can have a late career run of Super Bowl victories. and And I think that that this is one of those where we've got the team now, you know, we've been knocking on the door with Alex Smith for the last five years. We've got Patrick Mahomes. Let's kick the door in and let's kick it again next year. And let's kick it again the year after that. Well, how, how about that? What a, what a way to finish his career. Andy Reid, not one, not two, but three straight Super Bowl wins. You keep these guys healthy. Look, we could be seeing the start of something very special with the Chiefs. And it's hard to appreciate it now because we're in the middle of it. That said, I still pick the Patriots to win on Sunday. Steph Boyardee, does weather even matter? Well, it's not going to matter this weekend, but yeah, it matters. If it's windy, if it's cold, if it's wet, if the ball's wet, it, it matters. Snow, Tony Dungy made the case last week that snow actually favors the offense. And, and usually if it's slippery, it favors the offense because the offensive player knows where he's going. The defensive player's reacting. You're more likely to leave the guy in the dust because he can't react. He loses his footing. And uh, I, I think that the weather's going to obviously going to be fine at the Superdome. I think it's going to be fine in Kansas City. It's going to be much better than we thought it was. Steph Boyardee most likely to retire post game if they win the Super Bowl. Tom or Breeze? I think Tom. I think Tom is going to be involuntarily retired by Mrs. Brady 
if they win the Super Bowl. Because she made some noise about it two years ago when they came back and beat the Falcons. I think if they deliver this one, I think this is when Tom walks away. And I think Tom has always said he's going to play until he's 45, so he never has that farewell tour. And with each passing year, we're getting closer and closer to the de facto farewell tour. But he's always going to keep that stake so far out in the ground that we don't know when the last year is coming. I think if they win the Super Bowl, I, this is my, I have nothing to base this on. I think if they win the Super Bowl, the forces are going to align that, that will cause Tom Brady to walk away. Possibly hand-in-hand with Gronk. Probably hand-in-hand with Gronk. Steph Boyardee is Tom the Goat. Yes, Steph Boyardee. Should Missouri people feel pissed off or happy if it's Rams versus Chiefs? As a Dolphins fan in Missouri, I would even be pissed off. I don't know. I mean, look, how how badly can you feel for St. Louis in losing the Rams to L.A., given that 23 years earlier, the people in St. Louis stole the Rams from L.A., right? Right? it's hard to get worked up about St. Louis losing the Rams back to the city from which they stole the Rams. So, no, I don't feel bad about it at all. All right, I need to wrap this up soon. I got a few more. Let's, uh, more than a few more. C. Briner, in the past, you mentioned possible conflicts of interest with agents repping multiple quarterbacks, coaches at the same time. What is the solution to fix that? Should an agent have only one player at each position? Are there enough quality agents to sustain something like that? Like, it doesn't matter because they're never going to do anything about it. It's a fair question. There are real conflicts of interest, and that's just the way it is. And without any type of external body that dictates how these relationships work, right? If all these guys were lawyers, it would be a problem. And I think to the extent that any of these guys are lawyers, they get themselves into conflicts of interest, but nobody cares. Nobody does anything about it. And the world keeps spinning. Dean Osborne, 42. How long before the whole draft concept is challenged in court by college players who would rather have control and choice of where to work? Well, the problem is it's baked into the CBA. It is a multi-employer bargaining unit, and they have agreed among themselves that this is the way that they will divvy up the incoming pool of workers, and I don't think that there would be any successful court challenge to it. It's unfair. It's un-American. I don't like it, but because of the multi-employer bargaining unit, the antitrust problems go out the window, and the incoming players are screwed for the same reason that they can't challenge the three-year rule. They can't challenge this either. That's why I like it when... Somebody has the leverage to stand up to the process like Kyler Murray may if he is viewed as a guy who is among the the best prospects in the draft and can in turn dictate terms to the NFL. Dean Osborne, 42, for the website, how do you decide which PFT writers write which stories and thus avoid duplication? It's like calling fly balls in the outfield. And every once in a while, somebody has to get called off. Every once in a while, two versions of the same story get posted momentarily. It doesn't happen very often. Once a month, once every two months at the most. We, we do a very good job of communicating by email as to who's getting what story. And, you know, sometimes like when the Scott Linehan firing happened, one of the writers called it. I called it 30 seconds later. One of the benefits of being the boss, you can text the person and say, let me take that one. They rarely say no. So I don't do that very often, though. I, I, I mean, I, look, I, I, I don't do it very often. Now I feel bad about ever doing it. I don't do it very often, for the record. I do it like once a month. I don't know. They would probably say it's more often than that. The uh, Shawnee refs, what separates a legal pick play from an illegal one? Is it as simple as contact within five yards? More talk than ever about them this year and the way they've been officiated. It confuses me. You're allowed to have that contact within one yard on the offensive side. Within one yard, it's not a, 
an illegal pick beyond a yard it is an illegal pick and and look it is complicated and they get away with a lot of it and one of the things that drove chris sims crazy this year on screen passes there were there were uh or even short passes there were offensive linemen downfield blocking and yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of flaws in the way that this stuff unfolds, but the challenge is for coaches to figure out where the trends are, what you can get away with, and use it to your advantage. Megan Nixter won New England versus the Saints in the Super Bowl. How does Atlanta respond? I, I, I think that they rally around the Patriots because I think the last thing you want if you're a Falcons fan is the Saints to win the Super Bowl in your building. I, I think if that happens... You, you rebuild the Georgia Dome and tear this place down if the Saints win the Super Bowl there. I don't know I don't know how you can go on as a Falcons fan showing up at that place every week when the Saints have won the Super Bowl there. I think what you do is you just kind of like shut it out of your brain and you try to forget. You know, but and any venue that hosts a Super Bowl, you've got to forget. But but has anyone had to forget? Think about it. Has anyone had to forget an arch rival winning the Super Bowl on their field? In in Detroit, it was the the Steelers that won. All right, big deal. In, in Minnesota, it was Philadelphia. Where, where else? Uh, you know, in, in Miami, the Saints have won one. I mean, Miami, at, at that new stadium there, I don't know, has, has the, the Patriots have not won one there, right? Have we had an arch rival win a Super Bowl in a stadium? In, in Dallas, it was Green Bay. Big deal. In Arizona, what's it? What's it been New England like five times? Right? Seattle didn't win one in Arizona. They got lucky. Although I don't, I, yeah, I, I would just be very bad for Falcons fans if the Saints win the Super Bowl there. All right, you know what? I said I was going to answer all these. There's just too many left, and I got to wrap this up. Oh, the real Forno, are you going to have your internet son, PFT Commoner, on for a full show like you had Barstool Big Cat? We've had Big Cat on in the past, and we've had both of them on before. We, 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 you, you never know what's going to happen. That's the beauty of PFT Live. We come up with our ideas and our plans on the fly, and uh, just that's why you got to tune in and see what goes on. The real four, I'm just bouncing around now. The real Forno of Cliff Kingsbury has a lot of success in Arizona. Could we see a huge influx of college offensive minds becoming head coaches? Well, yeah, because it's a copycat league, right? If all of a sudden a guy who was 35 and 40 at Texas Tech becomes a great NFL coach, yeah, I think you're going to see more rolling of the dice for unconventional college coaches, college coaches who weren't dominant. Because in the past, it's always been, you have to be a great college coach before you even enter the conversation. Now, a guy who got fired, a guy who was 35 and 40, he becomes a head coach. If that works, then you never know where you're going to find gold. And that's the ultimate problem here. Nobody knows how to hire a head coach. Because how often do you really do it? And if you're doing it often, that means you stink at it. J. Randall, 15, Department of Homeland Security, plays a big role in securing the Super Bowl. Have you heard anything about the shutdown impacting the Super Bowl? I also saw to expect three-hour delays to get through TSA Monday after the game. Yeah, look, I I trust that people of sound mind and goodwill are going to come together and secure the Super Bowl, right? I mean, there, there are limits to the extent to which this political game can be played. And at some point, adults need to step up and do the right thing. I would like to think we've already passed that point. This is so distressing to me. And and I, I don't want to get overly... Well, we're at the end. So if you don't want to hear political talk, let me do this. This is going to be the last question I take because I'm going to give everyone out there a fair chance to turn this off, to just end it now, if you don't want to hear a political comment. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to count. 
So you'll know. So you can't say, I didn't want to hear that. If you stay beyond the count of five, you wanted to hear it. And, and let me tell you goodbye for those of you who are going to turn it off, because I assume some of you will. Five, four, three. Well, if you aren't gone now, you're going to be gone. Here's the comment. This is exactly the kind of shit that I feared when Donald Trump won election two years ago. Chaos. Unconventional tactics. Treating our national interests. Treating our federal employees like pawns in a broader negotiation, all in the name of winning. And that's exactly what's going on now. This is not a normal negotiation. This is not a normal administration. And I don't care who else would have won, whether it was Hillary Clinton, whether it was any of the other Republican nominees, it would have been a normal process. This is an abnormal process. This is what happens, people, when you vote for someone who is an outsider, who doesn't do things the normal way. Things start happening in abnormal ways. And now it's happening. This is exactly the kind of shit that I feared. And it doesn't matter about political ideology. And trust me, for the president, political ideology is just the, the things he has to say, the things he has to pretend he believes to get into the office that he wanted. He wanted the power. He wanted the fame. He wanted to win. I see a challenge out there. And people think it dates back to the, the uh, what, what's that thing they do? The, the dinner, right? The, the correspondence dinner, the White House correspondence dinner. And Barack Obama was riffing on Trump and Trump was sitting in the, in the audience seething that that's when the seeds were planted. He's going to be the president. And he's going to hold the power and he's going to win and he's going to win and he's going to win. And now here we are, a guy who just defines his life by wins and losses. No, by wins and more wins. Hundreds of thousands of families are pawns in one man's quest to win. And this is what I said earlier in the week. Find a way to let this guy claim victory. Give him something where he can stand up, right? If you're dealing with a kid who's having a temper tantrum, eventually what you do is you find a way to get the temper tantrum to end. Give him a cookie. Give him something that looks like a cookie. Even if it's cardboard, even if it's good for him, give him a kale cookie. As long as he thinks it's a cookie, that's all that matters. That's what needs to be done. It's not just a grown-up. It's somebody who has grown up enough to realize that sometimes you got to let somebody else think that they win for the greater good. That's what needs to happen. And this isn't just, look, yeah, I'm going to be traveling in, in nine days, so there's a selfish component to it, but I felt this way even before that. I, I've gone through airport security several times over the past few weeks. The TSA people couldn't have been more professional. But how many paychecks do you lose before you start getting unprofessional? How many paychecks do you lose before you start taking it out on the people who are coming through here? You know, because a lot of people going through the T. I always try to be polite to these people for, I mean, for obvious reasons, because I think if you treat them like crap, they're going to find a way to, you know, flag your bag or, or tag your bag for, uh, you know, uh, or do whatever they have to do to make your life more miserable. So I, I, I feel like they're other human beings. Let's be nice to them, but I'm especially nice to them now. Again, because I feel badly for them. They're, they're doing. Could you imagine showing up to work and working and not getting paid? What kind of bizarro world are we living in where people are expected to work and not get paid? So this is exactly the kind. And, and, and we can retreat to our corners and we can call each other idiots and we can point and we can, we can post fake news and we can shout each other down. But my point is... I expected and I feared chaos like this, and this is exactly what we're getting. And what's astounding to me is we're all so desensitized to it that we don't realize how chaotic these times are.
So what happens? They get more chaotic, and then we get used to it, and then they get more chaotic. And what's it going to take for us to finally wake the hell up and realize that the chaos has to end? All right, the program has to end. Enjoy the games on Monday, on Sunday. I got myself all twisted up. On Sunday, we'll do this again on Monday. We'll have content for you all weekend long at profootballtalk.com. Thanks, as always, for your support of the podcast, and we will do this again very soon. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.